The first weekend in May will be the 140th consecutive year of the Kentucky Derby. You know, the horse race at Churchill Downs. The Derby is everywhere in Louisville, Kentucky. Apartment complexes, animal shelters, comedy clubs, all named after the Derby. There's the Derby Hat, downtown Louisville, there's Derby Clock, and then there's Derby Pie. It's as much a part of many Kentuckians' Derby Day as a ham biscuit and a mint julep. But not everyone feels comfortable talking about it. It's like it's a swear word or something. <laughs> Worse than that. I can swear. <laughs> Just can't say Derby Pie. <laughs> You're listening to Gravy. 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 Stories about the changing American South through the foods we eat. We are a production of the Southern Foodways Alliance, and I'm Tina Antolini. Today, radio producer Nina Feldman brings us a story of pie and controversy, and how the name of a confection can tap into something surprisingly emotional for one Southern community. For 23 years, Susan Fouts worked as a hostess at a restaurant called Science Hill Inn in Shelbyville, Kentucky, just outside of Louisville. She liked the pies they served so much that she started using the restaurant's derby pie recipe at home. What's in it? Chocolate chips, nuts, eggs, corn syrup, bourbon. Derby pie is kind of like a pecan pie. Sticky, sweet filling with a hard nut top and a pastry crust. Susan said that she and her co-workers served lots of derby pie for dessert. Until one day when Science Hill received a cease and desist letter in the mail. I didn't read it. My boss read it. And he came down and told us, you do not ever mention that word again. The letter notified Science Hill that the name Derby Pie was a federally registered trademark of Kern's Kitchen in Louisville. Susan had never heard of Kern's Kitchen at the time, but she had heard of the restaurant it grew out of, the Melrose Inn, in nearby Prospect, Kentucky. The way the story goes, Derby Pie was created there in 1950. The restaurant owners, Walter and Leodra Kern, say they came up with it along with their son, George. Alan Roop is the Kern's grandson and George's nephew. And they developed the pie as their specialty item for the restaurant, their signature item for the restaurant. And when they came up with the pie that they were pleased with, then they uh, actually sat around in front of the restaurant one night after hours and put several names in a hat, and Derby Pie was the name that was drawn out. In 1960, the Kearns closed the Melrose Inn, but they kept the pie business. And back then, it was really word of mouth. They didn't have any listing as a business listing. If you wanted to, to get a hold of Derby Pie, you, you called Walter Kearns' name in the, the old phone directory. That's how you found out you know, how to, how to get a hold of them. Roop says Grandma Kern started out baking three pies at a time and leaving them on the windowsill to cool. As the business grew, the family tried hard to bake to Grandma's standards. By 1968, the family recognized that Derby pie was for them more than a pie. For them, it was their inheritance, their family confection, their livelihood. Kern's Kitchen filed Derby pie as a registered trademark. Now, Roop says Kern's Kitchen makes about 800 pies a day and more during derby season. They go to great lengths to protect their name, technique, their recipe. Only their production manager has access to the recipe. When they designed a commercial kitchen, the need for secrecy even figured into the layout. So we wanted to be able to keep the secret recipe secret and still have him have proximity to the production room. We've got this curtain back here on a track. It pulls all the way around. So he's basically sealed in behind the curtain. He can do all his mixing and production, and then we pump our goop out 
uh, of the curtain into a hopper, and that's our filler. The trademark doesn't protect the recipe, or the technique, or the ingredients in the pie. That's what the curtain in the kitchen is for. The trademark protects the name. We have everybody that comes into the shop sign a confidentiality agreement. Um, no one's allowed in the mix room when, when our production manager, JB, is doing the actual mixing. Uh, but if, if you were able to make an exact same pie, as long as you didn't use the Derby Pie trademark, we wouldn't have any issue with it. But they have had issues with people using the name. When Susan Fouts' boss at Science Hill received that cease and desist letter, he took it seriously. We were threatened, and we never, never mentioned Derby Pie again. They took it off the menu and renamed it Chocolate Chip Pecan Pie. You know, if somebody would say, do you serve derby pie, you know, we'd all just back up and say, oh, no, we don't serve derby pie. Because you didn't know if they'd sent a plan in to see if we were doing it or not. So if somebody comes in and says, I'd like a slice of derby pie, you can't give them the chocolate pecan pie? We can say we have chocolate pecan pie, but we do not have derby pie. Now, that might just seem like semantics, but Susan says they didn't want to risk it. Well, if they sent lawyers in the first time, what do you think they're going to send the second time? The FBI? <laughs> At Science Hill, they continue to make the same pie. They just change the name on the menu. But not everybody backs down that easily. Hey, hey. warming up for you? Rick Paul has been managing the White Light Diner in Frankfort, Kentucky since 1991. Rick is a professionally trained chef and has traveled as the personal cook for the sorts of horse farmers whose thoroughbreds run in Churchill Downs. He wears a baseball cap low over his eyes, smokes Kentucky's best cigarettes, and keeps a lighter on a bungee cord clipped to his belt loop. Rick has been sued by Kearns twice. I visited him on a quiet, chilly morning at his 16-seat diner in Kentucky's capital city. How long have you been making a pie that you call Derby Pie? I don't make a pie that I call derby pie. I make a Kentucky bourbon pie, which is a pecan pie with chocolate and uh, bourbon, benchmark bourbon from Buffalo Trace and Ghirardelli chocolate. That's what I make. Rick, too, is very careful with his language. He's all too familiar with what could happen if Kern suspected he was using the name again. One day they called me, and I didn't know who it was, and asked if I sold derby pie. I said, yeah, because I had been doing it for a long time. And they said, well, you can't because that's our name. At the time, Rick thought the whole thing was pretty ridiculous. It was a pie he'd been making in his family for years. His mother used to make it. There's not a trademark on Mississippi mud pie or Boston cream pie or key lime pie or apple pie, and you could go on for the rest of the day naming these. He didn't take the call very seriously and decided to have a little fun with it. And I actually put up a sign after that conversation, have a piece of, I can't call it Derby Pie Pie. Kearns asked Rick to take the sign down. Even I can't call it Derby Pie Pie violated the trademark law. In 1997, Kearns took Rick to court and the judge ruled in favor of Kearns. His penalty was to pay a fee to the charity of his choice. But the judge chose an unusual method to decide that fee. It was a nod to the Kearns Derby Pie origin story. The judge said he, would, he was going to put some numbers in a hat 
from one to a thousand dollars and he was going to draw a number out which was very similar to the way that Derby Pass says that they got their name by family members putting names into a hat and pulling a name out and they pulled out they said Derby Pie. Rick paid $300 to a women's shelter. Ten years later Rick was back in court with Kearns. This time it was for advertising Derby Pie which he says should have been fine since technically he had a Kearns Derby pie for sale. The judge ruled in favor of Kearns again. This time, Rick was charged $14,000 in lawyer fees, which he says he's still paying off. Rick was pushing his luck, but he didn't want to let go of the name. He says a lot of other Kentuckians feel entitled to the name Derby pie. Susan Fouts, back in Shelbyville, agrees. So you grew up in the late 50s with your mom making a chocolate chip pecan bourbon pie that she, she made a derby pie and called it derby pie and around derby time you know the first saturday in may that's when we had derby pie everybody knew derby pie coming up what it takes to protect your brand if your brand is a food there's the sponsorship music, and today I want to tell you about a birthday that's coming up. This March, Jim and Nick's Community Barbecue turns 30. To celebrate, they help the Southern Foodways Alliance produce a film that's going to make its debut on March 7th at the Charleston Wine and Food Festival, and it'll go live on the SFA website at the same time. It's a film about a barbecue pitmaster named Ricky Scott in Hell's Half Acre, South Carolina. He's only open one day a week. If it's good, you let the customers tell you that it's good. I don't want to say, I got the best body. Roy, you want to call him? Yeah, I'm going to call him. Yo. Uh, yeah. Yes, sir. You got barbecue today, buddy. The film was made by 1504 Pictures for the Southern Foodways Alliance with the generous support of Jim and Nick's. They've been collaborating with us for over a decade, making sure that the world knows not just about their barbecue, but about the rich barbecue tradition all across the South. You can learn more at jimandnicks.com. Now back to Nina Feldman and more Derby Pie. In order to understand why Kearns is going to all this trouble to protect the name Derby Pie, you have to know a little bit about the murky world of intellectual property. First of all, what a trademark actually is or isn't. This is not a patent. A patent is something that you have to have invented. Copyright is something you have to have written. A trademark is not like that. This is Liz Williams, a New Orleans attorney who specializes in food law. She's the co-author of Encyclopedia of Law and Food. If you have used the mark and it has come to be something identified with you, then you can register. And it's kind of, you know, first one to the courthouse kind of thing. Liz says Kearns was smart. They recognized they had a good product, and they wanted to protect it. And now, they have to protect it. Because even once you've got a trademark, if people start using it too often as a generic term, you can lose it. So people are uh, very careful. Um, I know that there was a while when we would all say, oh, we Xerox this or we Xerox that. And Xerox worked very hard to say copy because they were afraid that they could lose their, their uh, trademark name. It might seem like it would be good for branding to have your name become so popular that people use it more than the original word itself. 
But what's good for everyday recognition is not good for trademarks. Zipper was once a trademarked word, and it became so synonymous with the product that now it is a word. And so it's lost its trademark status. So that's an example of one that's gone all the way. Kearns doesn't want Derby Pie to become the next zipper, which is why they're so aggressive about defending their mark. But a lot of people argue that it's too late, that Derby Pie is already used generically. The morning I visited Rick at the White Light Diner, he tried to prove it for me. What restaurants deserve Derby Pie? He's searching the internet for which restaurants serve Derby Pie in Kentucky. One of the first links that came up was definitely a reference to the generic term, not the specific pie. See, like where to find the best derby pie in Louisville, Kentucky. Yeah, we don't have a parking There's only one, right? So how would one be better than the other? Okay. So let's see what they say. Rick is on to something with this. Back in 1986, Kern sued Bon Appetit magazine for including a recipe for derby pie in one of their issues, and then again in a hardback book. Bon Appetit is a bigger company with a more robust legal budget than Rick's White Light or Science Hill Inn. They could afford to fight the case. Liz Williams says that to prove derby pie is a generic term, someone would have to demonstrate that it has entered into the public domain. You would have to show that people are using it in the news and they're saying that word instead of the more generic word for whatever it is. Uh, instead of copying, they're saying Xerox even on the news. That's exactly what Bon Appetit did. They found stories in the paper, recipes from countless magazines and cookbooks, and menus from restaurants across the country, all of them referring to a derby pie without making mention of Kearns. And the judge bought their case. For one year, from 1986 to 1987, Kearns lost the trademark for Derby Pie. Here's Alan Roop from Kearns again. And we thought at that time, well, do we want to fight it? Do we want to file an appeal? Or do we want to take that money and put it into marketing and advertising? Uh, and uh, we decided to run it through the appeal process. The next year, the 6th District Appeals Court in Cincinnati reversed the decision. The magazine settled the lawsuit. Alan Roop says there are all sorts of foods that people feel an affinity with, an attachment to products that people feel a personal sense of ownership of. I mean, I'm sure there's people think that they they can make Kentucky Fried Chicken at home. But the thing about Kentucky Fried Chicken, it only comes from Kentucky Fried Chicken. So they might be able to make a chicken that is similar or maybe even exact, but it's not still not Kentucky Fried Chicken because it doesn't, doesn't come from the kernel. I don't know how many people would list Kentucky Fried Chicken on their menu or that they would do it without knowing they were breaking the law. But I understand Roop's point. People feel ownership over lots of things, and that doesn't always mean they have a right to use them. That said, there are a couple more snags when it comes to the Derby Pie of the People versus Derby Pie TM. And they have to do with two things, nuts and whiskey. I went by the recipe from Science Hill, and it has uh, eggs and sugar and corn syrup and chocolate chips and nuts and bourbon. That's Susan Fouts again back in Shelbyville. And by nuts, she means pecans. Recipes like hers are the ones I heard most often when people referred to the pie formerly known as derby. At Kearns, though. The pie really is a play with the, the crust, a real nice light flaky crust. And then um, the 
California walnuts and the real chocolate. That's right. At Kearns, they use walnuts instead of pecans and no bourbon. I'm not saying which came first. It doesn't matter. Legally, Derby Pie is a product of Kearns Kitchen and nothing else. But it begs the question, if Kearns is the original Derby Pie, the confection that people think of when they think of the name, then how did it come to be that most people use a completely different recipe? We were shocked when we saw the recipe and saw that they put walnuts and no bourbon in it. Shocked. We couldn't believe it. I mean, any derby pie I ever had had pecans. And if the term has always been so closely associated with Kern's pie, the pie that started at the Melrose Inn, then why do people feel such a sense of ownership? Rick Paul says it's all about laying claim to history. If you have people scared to not use the words derby pie, even in their house, they better not say that. And yet grandma used to make it, let's say. Then you really banish grandma in a way, haven't you? Actually, Kearns thinks their work honors grandma. Alan Roop goes to great lengths to protect his grandmother's derby pie. Protecting the Kearns brand protects his family story, his family livelihood. The problem is, derby pie is now a part of a lot of family stories, all over Kentucky, all over the nation. There are plenty of foods that were invented by a person or restaurant that nobody owns. Liz Williams gave the example of oysters Rockefeller, those oysters on the half shell baked with greens. Nobody would contest the notion that Antoine's restaurant in New Orleans invented the dish. Now you'll find oysters Rockefeller on menus all over the country. People from Antoine's cannot stop other people from using the name oysters Rockefeller because it was never registered and it went into the public domain. The same is true for everything from Brunswick stew to Boston cream pie to Hangtown fry. These are all dishes with creation stories, but no trademark. Something is lost when a dish is no longer identified with the creator. Not many of us would be able to tell you the origin story of the Boston cream pie. It's just another dish, another word, like zipper. Some, like Susan Fouts, believe they can honor the history of a dish and make it their own. That's how she feels about Kern's Derby Pie. They knew they had a good pie, and they did have a good pie. And it went national. It's all over the world. And they just wanted to protect it. But that's not going to stop Fouts from baking her own pie at home, and even flirting with calling it Derby Pie. What is this cookbook? Science Hillian. In a cookbook, on the page of the recipe entitled Chocolate Chip Pecan Pie, someone had taken a pen and crossed out the name. In brackets, above the title, they wrote Derby Pie. But just so everybody knows, somebody wrote in. My husband did. He's going to jail. (laughs) (laughs) Nina Feldman is a radio producer based in New Orleans. Music for today's episode was from Blue Dot Sessions, Sunday Ent, Michael Hurst, and Computer vs. Banjo for Diagram Collective. Our theme music is by Wendell Patrick. Sponsorship music is by Jazar. Coming up, a little taste of the next episode of Gravy, but first... So every year, the Southern Foodways Alliance picks a theme for the year. Last year, in observation of the 50th anniversary of the Civil Rights Act of 1964, the theme focused in on who's included and who's excluded in Southern food. For 2015, it's the Pop South. How is pop culture intertwined with Southern food? 
from Elvis recipe cards to the Chitlin Strut in Sally, South Carolina, we're spending the whole year exploring mass-produced food culture in the South. You can keep track of the Pop South by becoming a member of the SFA. Learn more at our website, southernfoodways.org. Coming up on the next episode of Gravy, what do you get when you mix food and rock and roll? We ran over in our aprons and everything because we were so late and we wanted to see the show. And these two women were standing in front of us. And it was really loud, but I heard one of them say, it sounds like somebody's cooking a steak in here. <laughs> <laughs> oh, not me, not me. That's next time on Gravy. Keep track of us on Facebook through the Southern Foodways Alliance. Or on Twitter, we're at Potlicker. That's P-O-T-L-I-K-K-E-R. I'm Tina Antolini for the Southern Foodways Alliance. You are listening to Gravy. And as you go about your daily life, please remember, make cornbread, not war. <laughs>